Father, just good stuff into this world. So he attacks our faith. And I think all of us know that at one time or another that we went through either doubts that were maybe doubts that were serious, but, but Father, maybe not as deep as at other times. But I know that Satan wants us to think that it's not reasonable to believe in God. And God, for most of my, uh, for all of my adult life, there's been one, one man, Father, that uh, helped fight your enemy and our enemy. And Father, has given us reason to know that we can trust in you, Father. And John is that man. And I thank you for John. And Father, I ask you will bless him in a moment when he comes up here. Father, help us all to listen. Father, I know if anybody has questions, they can write them down where there's a question and answer session. And I know if we're going to be after the sessions, if we'll have time, but I know there'll be one tomorrow that they can just ask questions and John will be able to give a, an answer that's much more informed and, and intellectual than I could ever begin to. So help us to listen well, give John the strength and the, uh, Father, I know he has the conviction to speak well and bless him. Father, bless he and his wife who is here with him today. And Father, bless us as we try to bring glory to you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So uh, I get the privilege of introducing my son mentioned earlier. Hey, guys, guys, I need your attention up here, okay? I have the privilege of introducing someone that is a hero to my son, but he also is my, a hero to me. Uh, a long time ago in 1978, I was in a school of ministry and struggling with faith that nobody knew how to struggle with. I had so many struggles that, you know, that they should have known, hey, this guy's got a faith issue. And I went to Mike Napier to talk about him. He was the guy that had started the school, the president of the school. And he said, hey, there's a guy that's gonna be in Petersburg, Indiana. And he is the foremost expert in our brotherhood when it comes to issues of faith and the reasonableness of faith. And I remember going over to hear John that evening, and I understand I'm somebody who had recommitted my life to Christ, and I was serious about becoming what God wanted me to be. But in my worst moments, the struggle would come up of how can I be the best for God if he doesn't even exist? And I don't remember why, but Rita couldn't go with me that night. I don't remember who went with me, but I remember going and hearing John, and for the first time, not feeling embarrassed to acknowledge that I had doubts and being clearly informed that there's an answer to those doubts. I don't remember the topics, but I remember going home and crying like a baby that night as I got in bed with my wife and talked to her about the blessing that God had given me that night through John. What I know is that I'm one of thousands that John has done that to, and so when I tell you that he is one of the most devoted men of God that I have ever met day in, day out for 50 years. He's done that for me. He's done it for others. And you're blessed today to be able to have that do that, to him do that for you. So it's with a lot of joy and appreciation that I introduce to you, John Clayton. We talked about diversity in our session this morning, <clears throat> and uh, I, I told Robert, I said, well, I guess I'll be your old, foggy, diverse person. <laughs> 85 years old, I think I've got it on everybody here just about, been in this ministry for over 50 years, and some of you have probably looked at this and said, this is ridiculous. 
why did you come here and talk to us about believing in God? We wouldn't be here if we didn't believe in God. Yeah, I understand that. I'd like to call your attention to two things, though. Number one, the latest Gallup poll shows that 40% of all Americans do not believe there is a God. 40%. You understand the implications of that? That means when you're talking to people, the first question you have to ask if you're going to talk about discipleship is, do they believe in God? I mean, what does it do to talk to somebody about being a disciple if they don't believe God exists? So in a way, I probably should have been the first person to talk this week. Because the fundamental question is, how do you answer that question? And uh, I need at least 10 hours. Don't get worried. I quit on time. I'm a public school science teacher. When the bell rang, you stopped. Unless you wanted to talk to an empty classroom. Because the kids all left. But number two, a little diagram on the screen. That yellow line is life. That's life. Sometimes we're on the high and sometimes we're on the low. Life goes up and down, right? You say, not me. I'm perfectly flat all the time. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. And there's been some references to that. Let me tell you something. We all have an unbelief level. People have talked about doubt. We all have doubt. There's stuff in your life that will raise that unbelief level. When my wife died, I struggled. I thought I was ready. Been married 49 years. Oh, man. I had to go back and start all over again because my unbelief level had been raised. And as that unbelief level gets raised, if we don't do something about it, then there's some unpleasant things that can happen. And when you hit one of these bottoms and your unbelief level is high, see that right there? You become vulnerable. And Satan knows that. Satan knows when to hit you. You ever heard about a preacher doing something stupid? I mean, really stupid. It's funny, I didn't hear it. You know, most time when I speak in churches, somebody yells, Amen! No, I'm talking about really stupid. Runs off with somebody else's wife. Now, why does that happen? Why does that happen? Because when your unbelief gets, level gets high and you happen to hit a low right there, Satan is going to come after you. And so it is important for us 
if you believe in God. Do not let that unbelief level get up to the point where it buries you. And we can, in fact, before that happens, we can push that unbelief level down. And so one of the things I hope to do here today and tomorrow is to push that unbelief level down. To equip you to be able when something tragic happens in your life. And we'll talk about pain and suffering tomorrow. To not be vulnerable. To let Satan have a shot at you that can overcome you. So my presentation is going to be very, very different than the rest of what you're going to hear this week. And one of the fundamental things I want to call your attention to is the fact that one of the things that is important to understand and one of the things that is critical to get young people especially that we work with to understand that this is not, not the relationship between God's word and science. Let me tell you something, that picture is completely impossible. Science is knowledge. There can't possibly be a conflict between God's word, which contains knowledge, and knowledge. God's word and the Bible and science are compatible disciplines. They support each other. They reinforce each other. They exist in a symbiotic relationship, each mutually beneficial to the other. So we start with one assumption. And I, when I talk to atheist groups, and I hope I won't come across to you as treating you like an atheist, but I don't often, this is the first time I've talked in a lectureship to a group of Christians in I don't know how many years. Most of the time, I'm on college campuses. Most of the time, I'm talking to 75 to 90% of the group are people who don't believe in God. And my first answer, my first statement to them is, do you believe you exist? Do you believe you exist? Hey, if you don't believe you exist, then you've got bigger problems than I want to deal with. <laughs> and in every lectureship, I have somebody come up to me and say, well, how do you know you're really there? Well, if you don't know, I'm not going to try and convince you. So we're assuming reality. We're talking pragmatism here today. You don't need to have a PhD to understand my presentations. And if you exist, there are two choices about this existence. And folks, you're going to hit this. Choice number one is the universe is eternal, self-existing, and not created. Where did that come from? Came from Carl Sagan. It's part of the American atheist movement. When I was an atheist, and I was an atheist the first part of my life, I was president of the Indiana Atheist Association. This was our mantra. This is what we tried to get college kids especially to accept. This is the foundation of what's happening on major universities today. And of course, you recognize the, the, the second one, don't you? I hope. 
Okay? The universe is eternal. The Bible says, in the beginning, conflict. The universe is self-existing, according to the atheists. And the Bible says, God created. And interestingly enough here, the Hebrew word God, Elohim, is, conveys the power of God, the strength of God, the majesty of God. And as we'll see tomorrow, specifically deals with the God that quantum mechanics has supported as being fundamental to the question of reality. That's tomorrow. And not created. And the Bible says, the heaven, Shahim in the Hebrew means everything out there. The Webb telescope has validated that statement. A copy of our most recent quarterly is over on our table if you want to read about how that's true. And the earth. Okay, there's a choice. If you're an atheist, you want to take advantage of the top line. So that's what that's all about. And if you believe in God and in the Bible, then the bottom line is what you will accept. So how do we discern? How do we discern? And see, my response to that is evidence. Evidence. Romans says we can know there is a God through the things he has made. Evidence. When Thomas said, I can't believe it. And you say, well, that's crazy. Thomas, you saw the miracles. I can't believe it. What's the matter with you, Thomas? You walked and talked with Jesus. I can't believe it. So what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? Thomas, you stupid jerk. Is that what he said? Thomas, you idiot! You ever heard a parent do that to a kid? Thomas, stick your finger here. Evidence. Thomas, put your hand into my side. Evidence. Faith isn't blind. You read the teachings of Jesus, and every single time when he dealt with somebody, he provided them with a foundation to believe with. What was the purpose of the miracles? Was he just bent on relieving an individual's pain? Well, there were lots of individuals he didn't relate to. Evidence. Evidence. So what is the response. What is the evidence that this does not stand even though it is supported by the intellectuals? Look at that. Isn't that interesting? What is that? That's the storyline from a seventh grade science book used in the public schools in your state. 
You know, they won't let you talk about God in the schools, and I taught in the public schools for 41 years. They won't let you do that, but they'll let the atheists do this. And we'll get into some of these things. I'm, you're going to see me do some shortcuts here today, as we've already seen, because I'm fighting the clock, okay? But how do we know that's true? I want to emphasize something here. The first verse of Genesis, you don't have to be a Hebrew scholar to do this. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I have not been taught in Hebrew. But the Hebrew language specifically identifies something that is testable. Testable for you science buffs, falsifiable. In the beginning, the Hebrew word reshith is used, lexicon says, for something that never existed before. For something that never existed before. Already talked about Elohim and Barah. Shahim and Eretz, you heard me quoting those verses. We can test every statement there. So let's talk about it. Number one, how do we know there was a beginning? This is sometimes called the signature of God in the cosmos. I'm going to throw a little science at you here. You don't need to have a high level of education to understand this, but I want you to see where it's coming from, okay? That's a picture of something called a galaxy. What is it? A bunch of stars. We live in a galaxy called the Milky Way galaxy. A hundred billion stars. A hundred billion and you are located about a third of the way out in a rotating system of 100 billion stars called the Milky Way. But when we look out into space, we see that there are other galaxies out there. This is Andromeda, our sister galaxy, the one closest to us. How far away? Well, if you send a radio message to a friend of yours living in this galaxy, and if a friend of yours living there sent an answer back to you, you don't have to wait four million years to get an answer. The closest galaxy to us is two million light years away. And it looks a lot like us, but look at this picture. And this is more dramatic if we got a totally dark room. James Webb Telescope taking pictures of things that we can't see with our naked eyes, not even with our best telescopes. But brothers and sisters, everything you see on that screen is another galaxy. Every spot of light on that screen contains 100 billion stars, give or take a few hundred million. Every spot of light. There's a rotating system of stars and planets. And here's a recent Webb telescope picture. In a part of space we thought was completely empty. Our optical instruments could not see a thing. And look at that. Every spot of light is another galaxy. Oh, great. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> Wonderful. Most time when I'm in an auditorium, if you turn out the lights, everybody's light goes out. But anyway, look at that. 
The power of God, the majesty of God is incredible. And it's very, very difficult to comprehend the size of the cosmos in which we live. But this thing has not been created in a vacuum. There's a purpose for it. There's, an, there's a destructive nature to it. This is not an actual picture, I assume you understand. It's a diagram. What we also observe is that things are moving in the galaxy. And that's an interesting scenario. Because what you see is that galaxies in front of us are moving faster than we are, and galaxies behind us are moving slower than we are. So we call it the expanding universe, because that's what's happening. It's spreading out. And what we understand now is, thanks to the Webb telescope, that began when... <laughs> And I love the language of the astronomers here. When something created time and space. You hearing that? Something created... <laughs> are you serious? When I heard the guy say that, I asked him, I said, are you serious? What can create time? He said, well, I don't know. I suppose you have to invent a God to do that. I said, we don't have to invent a God, we just need to look at his handiwork. Something created time and space. But uh, interestingly enough, as we look at that, what we see is this picture, little model here. We have three galaxies located at positions A, B, and C. Tomorrow they'll be further apart because the universe is expanding. The day after that, they'll still be further apart. Well, let's, let's run this backwards. Let's put the time clock in reverse. If we're here today, then we were, let me back it up here, if you so do it, yeah. Then we were here yesterday, we were here before that, or the day before that, and where do you ultimately end up? At? A beginning. And that picture is from a seventh grade science book of what is called the Big Bang. The Big Bang. I have seen religious people go berserk over the Big Bang. Let me tell you something. The Big Bang doesn't tell you what banged or who banged it. It is a non-explanation. It has nothing to do with evolution. Evolution doesn't deal with creation. Evolution doesn't explain what created whatever it was that evolved. Evolution is not an issue in looking at cosmology. But there's another interesting point here. That's uh, my mother in her favorite car. I want to tell you a little story. When I was a kid, I wasn't a very nice kid. And everything that I did was uh, kind of nasty. And my kid brother had gotten into my stuff. 
And I told my kid brothers, stay out of my stuff. He didn't listen to me, as kid brothers usually don't. He got into my stuff, so I figured I would fix him. So I had a bucket of catfish guts and a whole bunch of mud. And I made a mud ball that I was going to fix him with. I was going to take that stuff, and he was in my stuff in the backyard. I was going to take that catfish gut and blood and mud, and I was going to throw it out the, the garage window and hit him in the head with it and just put blood and guts all over him. Oh, this was going to be so good. I was going to have such a good time. So I got that all put together. I got it sitting there in my hand. I'm ready to heave it out the window. I opened, well, I thought I opened the window, and I went like that. But I missed the window. And it hit the window frame, and it bounced over my back, and it landed in my mother's baby blue Volkswagen convertible. And the pattern inside that, that convertible looked just like that. How do I know that? Well, because I, I had that pattern all over my rear end. And I spent a solid week trying to scrub all that stuff out of my mother's car. Now, why am I trying to tell you that little story? Take a look at the number one American Atheist poster back a couple of years ago out of American Atheist magazine. I used to distribute that magazine when I was an atheist. Now, whether you can make that all out or not, but let me show you something. The little girl has science on her T-shirt. The balloon has Bible written on it. And that is supposed to be a preacher. You say, well, how do you know that? Have you looked at Carrie's bad foot? Well, okay. The guy's got a clerical collar. What's the message? This thing has been on television. It has been on posters that have been put in universities and college campuses all over the place. And then what it says is the Bible has been shot down by science and the Big Bang. No, 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 no. The Big Bang doesn't tell you what banged or who banged it. It's a non-explanation. So, remember the sequence that we talked about. And in science now, we talk about the cosmos beginning, and the Webb telescope has proven this at what is called a singularity, the start of the expansion of the cosmos, the beginning of time and space. Folks, I'm not talking a, a, a biblical argument here. I'm talking scientific evidence, 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 evidence. We had a beginning. That's just one argument. I had to laugh. American Physics Magazine. This, this is a page cut out of it. This was a dissertation some guy did where he plotted the motions of the galaxies in space. The, the dots indicate the galaxies. And the lines indicate whether it's moving in or out. 
Notice what happens. They fed this into the computer, and the computer said, well, it must have started right there. And there was a big controversy because it put a cross at the beginning of the cosmos. Have you read Colossians? All things were created by him and for him and through him. All things were created. The evidence. The evidence is overpowering. We had a beginning. Okay, you say, well, then how does the atheist handle that? Well, this is a, a page out of American Atheist magazine again. What it is showing is the motions of the galaxies going like this. And the theory is what is called the oscillating universe. The atheists say, well, how do you know it doesn't just eventually slow down and get pulled back together, and so it happens all over again? So we live in an eternal universe. Had no beginning, will have no end. You know, I think God saw that one coming. Because what the Webb Telescope has now confirmed, no question about it, is that the cosmos is not doing this, the cosmos is doing that. The universe is accelerating. It is speeding up so it can never collapse. Scientific American just read an article said the oscillating universe theory is dead, and it was the atheist last hope. We had a beginning. Uh, let me watch. Where are we clockwise here? There it is. Okay, let me, let me try to squeeze this in. This is the sun. The sun is an incredible furnace made of its own fuel. And when we look at pictures of the sun, we see incredible energy being released. It's amazing what an incredible furnace this is, made of its own fuel. To give you a little idea of scale, this is a close-up of the surface of the sun, called the photosphere. Every one of those little white dots up there is the size of the Earth. The size of the Earth. You got some idea of the size of this thing? And on the sun, we know that hydrogen is being pushed together to make helium. This is called thermonuclear fusion. We have duplicated it in the lab. Well, that's interesting. So what? Well, look at this picture just based upon hydrogen alpha data. Only the hydrogen light ex exposes the negative. Look at how much there is. Every second on the sun, 564 million tons of hydrogen are turned into 560 million tons of helium with 4 million tons of matter converted into energy, and that happens every second on the sun. You talk about energy. So where does that take us? This is an, an interesting situation. The sun is made of its own fuel. But we see other objects out there in space. This is another web telescope of an exploding galaxy, starting with hydrogen being converted. What happens 
if the sun runs out of energy? What happens if the cosmos runs out of energy? Well, that's not a pretty picture. What had to be true for this to be taking place? Hydrogen is a non-renewable resource. Okay, let's see if you're thinking. By the way, I'm famous for hollering think. So here comes the think. If every star in the universe is consuming hydrogen, and it's non-renewable, if every galaxy is fusing hydrogen, and it's non-refusable, if that has been going on forever and ever and ever, how much hydrogen should be left? What's the answer? Come on. None, yes. If you're driving a car, I'm driving a car. The gas gauge is near empty. I remember when gas was 25 cents a gallon, I'm not going to pay $3.24 now. I'm just going to drive my car. What's going to happen? I'm going to run out of gas. This is not Oppenheimer-level stuff. This is an Einsteinium stuff. This is just common sense, everyday reality. If the atheist was right and there was no beginning and everything has always existed, then we'd have long ago run out of hydrogen but the sun still has 98% of its original fuel. 98%. The universe is full of hydrogen. That could not be unless there was a beginning. Now, we could go on and on here. I've talked about three or two simple evidences. We haven't even talked about entropy in the second law of thermodynamics, but we don't have time. We had a beginning. Okay, how about the second step? Were we caused or were we not caused? Well, this is easy. This is easy. Because think about the question. The Bible says, Elohim bara. The Hebrew word bara is only used in reference to something God can do. It is never used in reference to something man can do. So think about it. If the universe was uncaused, with all the stuff we've just talked about, how much matter would be left? How much energy would be left? The answer is clear. Think, think. Think, think. We had a beginning, and the beginning was caused. So how does the atheist handle this? Oh, I love this one. Your atheist friends will say, well, how do you know something can't just pop into existence out of nothing by some process we don't know anything about? <laughs> hey, there's a safe argument. <laughs> there's a safe argument. Because the only way you could ever answer it would be to say that you know everything, and who's going to do that? But that won't work, folks. Because if something can come out of nothing, then everything you learned in chemistry class is wrong. And you say, oh, yeah, now I know why I flunked chemistry. 
No, 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 no. It had something to do with the oxidation states and all that stuff. If something can come from nothing, then the law of conservation of matter and energy and the law of conservation of momentum are both wrong. And that means all the physics is wrong. If something came out of nothing, then the law of electric conservation of electric charge is wrong, which everything, everything in electronics is wrong, and your computer doesn't work. And your computer may not work. <laughs> but that's not the reason, folks. That's not the reason. Everything we know to be true would be impossible scientifically if something could come from nothing. The atheist argument is absolutely and completely scientifically impossible. I want you to notice something. I'm not quoting scripture. I'm not quoting scripture. I'm talking evidence. I'm talking evidence. Let me mention to you that one of the things that we have tried to do in our program is to make materials available to those of you who are not scientifically oriented or who hate science, quote unquote, to have a tool you can use with somebody who says, well, I just don't believe. We have a set of DVDs. We've left a set with Robert. We have a book called The Source. We've left copies with Robert. You can secure that material free of charge. You can go on our website, doesgotexist.org. I have our website information on our table over there. We have a DVD series, 36 DVDs. Somebody says, I don't believe in God. Say, hey, I, I got a question for you. I got something I want you to do. Would you please watch this video? This guy has a video, and you can watch it free of charge. Go on our doesgotexist.tv website. Ask them to watch the first one. And then ask them, what was wrong with that? And if they tell you something that's wrong with it, send it to me, and I will answer them personally. What normally happens is they say, well, I don't see a problem there. I say, okay, then watch number two. Watch number two, which gets into some of this. And if they say, okay, I, that, I, can't, I can't argue with that, then all right, let's do number three. And they will say, well, how many of these you got? The answer, 36. 36, the last part of which leads them to becoming a Christian. You know, 2 Peter says, 1 Peter 3, 5 says, be ready to give an answer of the reason of the hope that is within you to every person who asks. That doesn't mean every person who already agrees with you on 95%. That isn't what he says. Be ready to give an answer of the reason of the hope that is within you to everyone who asks. We can all do that. And we're here to help you in this area when somebody does that to you. So this is totally bogus. We had a beginning. The beginning was caused. And what is left is what was the cause. What was the cause? You got two choices. In our second session today, we'll talk about those in more detail. By the way, you can tell I'm not a preacher. I quit on time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <He> goes, <laughs> One choice is, it's a non-personal choice. 
Well, that's an option. That means that you believe, if you're an atheist, that there is no intelligence in the creation. There is no purpose in the creation. And I want to hit that one hard. Tomorrow we'll talk about why is there pain and suffering. Let me tell you something. I was an atheist. For over 20 years, I was president in the Atheist Association. My mother and father were atheists. I worked with Madeleine O'Hare, who was the atheist at the time that led everything. But atheism offers you no purpose in your existence. You hearing me? No purpose in your existence. One of the most popular atheist books out there right now is titled, Why Is There Something Instead of Nothing? And there's like 236 pages, and the conclusion of it is we don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. If you're an atheist, you have no reason to exist. You have no purpose in existing. And you have to believe that everything is a result of chance. What is the evidence? Is there evidence of intelligence in the creation? Is there evidence that there's a purpose in us existing? Jesus Christ gives us fundamental evidence. In your sessions this morning, and what Robert said to you last night, it was spelled out loud and clear. You have a reason to exist, no matter who you are. But look what you're being fed if you're at a college level. This is Richard Dawkins, River Out of Eden. Required reading in just about every basic philosophy course that I've seen at the college level. I want you to notice this. Interesting writing. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get other people are going to get lucky, and you will find any rhyme or reason for it nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect at the bottom is there is no, now look at this, no design, no purpose, no evil. Can you understand? Can you believe that? That this character is going to tell well-educated, intelligent-thinking people like you that there's no such thing as evil? I don't know about you, but I've seen evil. I taught in inner city high school for 41 years. I saw evil. Haven't you? We've heard, we've heard people tell testimony already in the sessions I've been in and talk about the role of evil. He said, no, 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 that never existed. There's no such thing as, as rape. There's no such thing as war. Those are just minor natural caused Phenomena. Oh, really? Mother Goose. No good and nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. You're talking to college students at a university, at a state university? Let me tell you something. They have been indoctrinated with that belief, and this is required reading. Be ready to give an answer. 
of the reason of this, the hope that is within you, to every person. And I come back, how early does that start? Seventh grade, folks. Seventh grade. No wonder kids are messed up. Science News for this week has an article talking about disillusionment in young teenage men. And they say it's almost as bad as young teenage women. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because when you destroy belief, you destroy any sense of self-worth, any sense of purpose. Yeah. And the magazine doesn't offer any answer to it. Are we all a bunch of accidents? So we want to talk about design. And we will deal with some of these things as well. We didn't have a chance to go through a lot of this that I'm flipping through right now. The one thing I want to mention to you is that we have a variety of materials that are out there. All of these pictures that you're seeing me whip by now are more evidence to support what I just talked about. But I did want to get to this. What did the leading scientists of our time say? Look at Albert Einstein. Look at Frederick Hoyle. See, what I'm saying is not stuff that I made up. This is the words of the best minds among us. And they are scientists. One of the columns we have in our quadril, in our quarterly that you can get a copy of over there on the table if you want, and which is free, incidentally, if you want to be on our mailing list. Every feature, we have an article or a set of quotes from one of the great scientists that have ever lived. Because all of the great scientists have been fundamental believers in God, the number that were disbelievers in God are microscopic in nature. And so the book of Romans says it loud and clear. I want you to notice what this says. That which can be known of God lies plain before our eyes. God himself has made it clear to us. For those things that God which the eye is unable to see. <laughs> yeah. Ever since the beginning of the world have been clearly perceptible and understandable. How? Through the things he has made. God calls us to use the evidence he has given us to reach out to a lost and a dying world. Even his eternal power and deity. The unbeliever then is without excuse. We can know there is a God. It isn't blind faith. Not according to the book of Romans. We can know there is a God. We can have that kind of strength, that kind of faith. But what has happened? But they have refused to honor to God, him as God or give thanks to him. Hence their thinking has ended in futility and their misguided minds are plunged in darkness behind a facade of wisdom. <laughs> they have become just fools. 
you can logically and intelligently and rationally believe in God. And we'll see later in the Bible is this word. And we can answer the challenge of every atheist, every skeptic. And even us common folks who have had things happen in our life that have pushed us down. Know why you believe what you believe. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we don't live in a world that is just so tangled that we can't know that you are real. That you have taken even the simple things of creation and have given them to us in such a way that no matter how smart we are, no matter what our education is, we can know you, know your word, know your nature. And that through your son, we can know what we need to be and what we need to do to fulfill the purpose for which you created us. Help us continue to grow and to learn, Father. Help us to be useful to you, no matter how weak and how struggling we are. For we ask all this in Christ's name.